We're going to continue in our study of Luke this morning. And, uh, we do really want to um, welcome you all to our home on April 16th, and um, we're going to do a potluck, and uh, it's been a while since we've done a potluck, and I just feel like it's about time. So um, if you want to come and you want to bring some food, come and bring some food, and and I'll just tell you, if you're concerned about the virus, we're sensitive to that, too. Um, you can wear a mask or not wear a mask. You can bring your own food or eat before you come if you feel that's what you would prefer to do. But um, we'd really like to have you at our house. Saturday, April 6th, or Friday, sorry, Friday, April 16th, anytime between 5 and 9. Um, we're just going to hang out together with uh, no big plan other than to enjoy life and spring together. So... Uh, um, really want to have you here for that. Um, Spartacus became a little bit like uh, Jesus this week. On um, Spartacus is uh, buried for the weekend. And uh, Esteban took me out to Camp Hunt to go around where we're going to put the disc golf baskets in. And um, wouldn't you know, hit a soft spot in the field and uh, buried Spartacus right there to be a yard ornament out at Camp Hunt for the weekend. And uh, I would tell you we just went country boy surfing. But Spartacus is truly stuck like a truck in the muck for the weekend. Unfortunately, Spartacus isn't going to get raised till tomorrow. So, <clears throat> day late and a dollar short sometimes, you know. But we would love to have the men out to work together. And uh, it's been a long time coming for us to get this done. And, and uh, um, you know, as I t interact with some of the guys out at Camp Hunt, many of them have no idea what disc golf is. And, and that's kind of the idea. It's just exposing them to another activity that can get them moving, keep them occupied, give them a hobby that's affordable, not just while they're there, but potentially once they're gone, that can be just a simple service to them as they seek to... Um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance from addiction. And so uh, we hope that it can just be a small tool in that regard. But it's really good to be here, you know? The worship is just so encouraging and such a blessing. And um, that hymn that Joel read at the beginning just ministered to me so much. I, I didn't come in feeling very much like Resurrection Sunday for one, or one reason or another this morning. And um, I think I missed the Good Friday service a lot that we didn't get to have this year. Um, but uh, just the opportunity to think about Christ and him being raised and um, some new and sweet and fresh ways. And music has a, has a God-given ability to just help the affections and help the soul unto God. And so I'm very thankful for our worship team and their service to us also um, this morning. Well, we come to a wonderful Easter passage um, in Luke that, you know, when we think about Easter, what we tend to think about is kind of just the end of the Gospels and maybe like 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and there's like only the passages where Jesus is explicitly mentioned as having raised from the dead. Um, those are what we kind of think of as Easter passages. But one of the things that I'm zealous for for all of us is that we understand that the resurrection has implications for all of the truth in Scripture. And uh, one of the joys that I have as I think about Easter annually is to think about how does the resurrection actually 
um, give us additional thinking about who Christ is and who God is in any particular passage of Scripture that we may be studying. And so we come this morning to um, Luke chapter 18. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two faults among men. Then we're going to see two men. Then we're going to see two prayers that they offer. And then two results that are very, very different. And so let's read in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And then we'll pray and jump into this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this is the audience. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But, so the but there is a contrast. The tax collector is going to pray differently. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the grace and mercy that's so free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture that teaches us how to be made right with you. Thank you that it's Christ who gave His life so that we merely call upon Your grace and mercy with faith and You receive us and You save us and You justify us and You accept us. Father, we pray that we would not be those full of themselves, but would be like this tax collector and would know your gracious heart towards us who believe. May we think much on Christ, the one who humbled himself and was exalted to the highest place. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit teach us truth and the inward heart of who we are. Not just mere outward appearance and behavioral thinking. That we might live before You and cling to You from our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, in the context, we've been learning about the Kingdom of God. Jesus speaking of the Kingdom of God frequently. Last week, Joel did a wonderful job teaching us about the parable of the persistent widow and how um, ultimately prayer is the fruit of a person who has faith. And a person who endures to the end will have been a person who prayed. 
and a person who demonstrated faith. And remember in verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Then uh, expounding for us that God isn't like the, unjust ju- uh, the unrighteous judge. God gives justice to his elect. And God doesn't delay long over the prayers of his people for justice. And then he says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And of course, in the context of the persistent widow, um, the evidence of faith is prayer. And that theme really continues into this particular passage because it's another uh, parable about prayer. But it's not really about prayer. It's really about how a person is made right with God. And and, and even though it's a parable about these two prayers, the reason it's about prayer is not so much to be about prayer as much as it's to be about what prayer says about the way we pray, what it says about our hearts before God. And so this is a parable to teach us about how to have our lives right before God. And Jesus lifts up his voice as he has been doing through um, Luke's gospel back to the Pharisees. And of course, the disciples, then the Pharisees. The disciples he speaks to, then the Pharisees. And, And of course, both are always present and both are always listening. But here specifically, uh, we're actually told by Luke who Jesus was talking to. But he doesn't just say Pharisees. That's more assumed. What he says is, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And so, there's going to be two faults listed here of the Pharisees. One proceeding from the other, but you're going to see two faults. He also told this parable to some who, they did what? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they treated others with contempt. Now, it's impossible if you, I mean, if you actually... Trust in yourself, meaning you rely on yourself to make you right before God. The thing that makes you righteous is a reliance on yourself. That's what trust is. Trust is reliance. When you think of the word faith, faith is confidence that relying on God makes me righteous. And so they trusted in themselves. It's, it, the next step is you're going to look on others with contempt. Now, this is just normal amongst church people. Jesus didn't tell this parable so that the Pharisees could hear this rebuke and then uh, um, the Pharisees, remember, are lost, unbelieving hypocrites, okay? But there's also many ways, and which is very true, in the church where we are working our way along in our sanctification Those of you who are particularly more disciplined are even more predisposed to this. You're working your way along in your sanctification and what you start to do in your sanctification is put your confidence in yourself that the progress in the faith is because of your work and that, here's the key, and this merits something to you before God. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And oftentimes, people who trust in themselves, they have confidence in themselves that they are right before God, that they have a righteous standing before God. People who are 
like that, oftentimes are very kind people, generally speaking, outwardly. They're often very kind people, outwardly. They often appear, outwardly, to have integrity, to work hard, to look like they're doing okay in life. But inwardly, they despise others and they hold contempt in their heart. They treat others with contempt. Contempt, their disdain, rejection, you know. Um, keep my distance. You know, the worst is, like Jesus said, right? They're, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, people like this are like the ones who give the kisses of an enemy. They treated others with contempt. And every person in here knows exactly what it's like to be under the, self, the ones who trust in themselves and have confidence in themselves and to feel their disdain and contempt. Don't you? You've experienced that before. You know what that's like. You've done it in your own homes. Your children have felt it. You've also not just experienced it from others, but you have been on the other side by very nature of being a sinner who's bent on trusting yourself rather than relying on God. You have been on the other side of this also. That you have trusted in yourself and had contempt for others. And so no one escapes the audience of who Jesus is speaking to in the parable. And the parable begins in verse 10. There's these two men. They went up to the temple to pray, right? Fair enough. I mean, the way we, I mean, because we are so prayerless. I mean, anytime anybody goes anywhere to pray, immediately it rings of an act of piety. And so these two men go seemingly to um, exercise their piety and their faith and to pray in the temple. One, a Pharisee, who I've spoken about a lot through Luke's Gospel, and the other, a tax collector, Two very, very different individuals here. One, a Pharisee who um, is the primary audience, the Pharisees who are around. Now, you should just notice that Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. And so when he preaches the gospel to Pharisees, he just goes right for the heart of their Phariseeism. The gospel doesn't dance around the bush with people. The gospel doesn't, the gospel is a cure that goes for the actual disease. It doesn't do any good, it doesn't do any good to someone who's stuck in a particular sin as a way of life to actually never address that with the gospel, okay? And so Jesus goes right for the heart. He's going to talk to the Pharisees about a Pharisee. In the parable, and the other a tax collector. Now, what tax collectors were, you know, the Pharisees were well respected by the people for their um, righteousness. 
for their diligent keeping of the law. These were leaders of Israel who um, were well respected and had a good reputation for their exercise of piety amongst Israel. And then there was the tax collector. And the tax collector was not well respected and um, had not a good reputation because the, what the tax collectors would do would be to charge more than they were supposed to charge in order to line their pockets. And everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. You know, just, just, just think, this, the picture here would be of um, a particular party in, in the government who you prefer not to vote for in, mostly in this church. Tax collectors. And I say that, I say that um, really to our shame because of the way that we just have disdain to help us understand those who we just have disdain for, who we hold in our hearts with contempt. That's the reason that I say that. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself. So, I mean, the temple is a large area. Um, but this Pharisee uh, stands by himself, right, because, and in in, in probably the emphasis on why he's standing by himself is because he doesn't want to get too mixed up and too close to those who are sinners, you know, and so it's not like, I mean, he knows the tax collector's here. He actually acknowledges the tax collector's presence by what he prays, but he's not with the tax collector or standing by the tax collector, He's standing by himself because the Pharisee believes if I keep my distance from sinners, that is, that is how I maintain my cleanliness. And of course, there are certain ways in which that's true, but it merits you nothing before God. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. Now, you've heard this passage and read it enough times that you immediately kind of assume that when he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, we all can run quickly to the reality that all things are level at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. Um, No one has any moral superiority over another, and all of that is true, but... There's a part of this that really isn't the reason um, to actually criticize the Pharisee here. Because one of the things that we don't understand about the Christian faith is that we actually can, by the power of God's Spirit, when we are accepted by God and we receive His Spirit, we actually grow in righteousness. And if we can never, ever thank God for the gifts of grace He's given, for the work of His Spirit in us, that's changing us and making us righteous because we're all just level at the foot of the cross and we're all sinners, then like we turn into gobbledygook large portions of Scripture. Even Psalm 26, where the psalmist is um, speaking about his integrity. And he's speaking about his righteousness. And he's praying to God and talking to God about this. So the point isn't to... in, in to neglect the graces of God given. 
And so we don't need to actually criticize him for what he says here. It's not wrong to, in some sense, talk about your righteousness. Even to God himself. That's not the main problem. The Pharisee, standing by himself, pray thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And, and here, if you're, if, you, if you're not, by God's grace, an extortioner and not living an unjust life and not living an adulterous life or not taking more to line your pockets from people than you ought, right? that is something to thank God for. That is something to thank God for. But what the Pharisee means to do by this is not to praise God and His grace for what He's done in His life. What he means to do is to put his merit before God that he believes absolves him of guilt before God. And so in his heart, he thinks, I, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't, my life is not this. Therefore, God, you should accept me and receive me and welcome me and wash my sins away because I'm not an extortioner, I'm not an adulterer, and I'm not a tax collector, and I'm not living an unjust life. The point is, he's trusting in himself. His confidence is in himself that he is absolved of guilt because he's not guilty of these things. And of course, we know that all of us are guilty of all of these things. Now, if you trust in your outward appearance rather than understand the nature of your heart, then what I said to you will not make sense. But Jesus isn't just after your outward appearance of behavioral action. Jesus is after your heart being pure. He's after your motives and what you, not just what you do, but why do I do what I do? Then we know that we're all guilty. We're all guilty of all of these things. Just as Joel has been wonderfully teaching us the Ten Commandments. Right? So we are masters at reducing God's commandments to only a few outward behaviors so that we can feel like we're obedient. And what the Ten Commandments teach us is that they are umbrellas for numerous arenas of sin in our life. And that we're all guilty of all of them. And so what this Pharisee is doing that's wrong is not the thanking God for what he's not as much as his trust that this absolves him of guilt before God. But he doesn't only absolve himself of guilt. He now sets forth his virtue. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. That was common, Monday and Thursday, for Pharisees to fast twice a week. But that was not something that was even recorded in the Levitical law. The only prescribed fast for Israel was the Day of Atonement. And so what this Pharisee is doing is he's actually going beyond the law. 
He's not just keeping the law. He's going beyond the law. I fast twice a week. And then he says, I give tithes of all that I get. Not 100% for sure there what he means um, about all that he gets. But apparently, he gives tithes of all that he gets. So he puts forth his virtue. Do you see how quickly you are to put forth your virtue? And oftentimes, it's subtle enough that you won't put forth your virtue to God. Directly. What you'll do is, you'll put forth your virtue to someone you're comparing yourself to. And you won't pray it directly to God... But nonetheless, when your virtue is being put put forth and you're measuring yourself against your spouse, against your child, against your coworker, against your boss, against your brethren, your brothers and sisters. Not that anybody would ever do that in this church, right? The apostle Paul said comparing themselves with themselves they are not wise. Why? Because we stand before God. He is our master and judge. The point being, he puts forth his virtue. I have been diligent to keep the law and even go beyond the law in my zeal for you, O God. And this is something that should merit my acceptance before you. This is something that should earn for me a righteous standing before God. See, he's trusting in himself that he is righteous. And trusting in ourself is a wicked confidence. We wink at our sins and we place our confidence in ourselves and we put forth our virtues and then we treat others with contempt. And then there's this tax collector. The tax collector starts from the position of no reputation, disdained by the peoples all around. And he's not standing by himself. What the tax collector is doing is standing far off. Why is he standing far off? Well, one, because he's not actually allowed to draw near to the presence of God because he's a sinner. But it's more than that. The point that Jesus is making is here's the one who stands far off from Jesus because he has a tremendous sense that he's unworthy to be any nearer. He stands back. The tax collector knows that he has taken money unjustly to line his pockets. And he senses his guilt. And his guilt causes him to stand far off even though he's now here to pray and wants to draw near to God. And he stands far off because he's unworthy. It's a statement about his lowliness. And then it continues about the nature of this tax collector. He's he's standing far off, but then this, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. I want to know more people like this. I want to know more people who these descriptors make sense of. Who these descriptors actually describe. I want in our church, I want you and I want me to have such an overwhelming sense of our unworthiness before God that it feels as though we can't even lift our eyes up to heaven. You know, it's often been said that a Christian who's saved by grace walks with a limp. How about a little bit of shame? How about a little bit of shame? How about a, how about a deep sense of our shame? Not a shame that... Not, not the kind of shame that's more rooted in the fear of man. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? The gospel sets us free from the kind of shame to be honest about who we are. I'm talking about actual shame that's shameful because we're sinful. And we actually are unworthy in and of ourselves. And there's a little bit more of a downward glance at times because of that. But not even lift up his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast. Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tax collector is very different than the Pharisee. He pleads, he pleads just for the mercy of God. He doesn't pray about how he's not like other men. He doesn't bring forth any virtue that will commend him to God. He just pleads, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am guilty and I am unworthy. And the only, the only thing, the only thing that can make me right with you, God, is not my works of merit. It's not my works righteousness. It's not my moral uprightness. It's not my law keeping. I just see that I have been a sinner. And what I'm pleading for, God, as He beats on His breast, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. You know, we often, we often think that what we need to solve our problem in this life is we need greater self-esteem. We need greater self-esteem. And if we had greater self-esteem, that's what would actually help us solve the problems uh, that we're facing in life. 
and self-esteem becomes the solution to the problem that I'm a sinner. No. No, you don't need more thinking about esteeming yourself. What you need to do is repent of the fact that your lack of confidence actually is esteeming yourself too highly. We don't need self-help books that we can run to to solve the problems of our life. All they do is fuel your pride and keep you from being like the tax collector. Because when you have helped yourself, guess what you do immediately? You trust in yourself that you are righteous, that you have overcome the problems of your life on your own apart from Christ and his mercy, and you make his mercy needless because those who trust in themselves have no need of the mercy of God, which means they have no need of the cross of Jesus Christ. They have no need of Good Friday, and the resurrection ultimately becomes meaningless because I raise myself to new. You don't need things that are going to constantly try to build up how valuable you are. All of that is fleshly, and all of it, all of it builds up a trust in yourself and a contempt towards others. What you need is full acknowledgement of your guilt. What you need is full acknowledgement of your unworthiness before God and your need is the forgiveness of your sins through His mercy that He would welcome you to Himself. This is the point that Jesus is making. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus... Jesus just insults the self-righteous right here, and he encourages the humble. He just insults them. He says, I tell you, this man, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to those who trust in themselves that they are righteous and have contempt for others. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The tax collector. The tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee, in other words, is not accepted by God. His prayer is not received by God because the Pharisee trusts in himself that he is righteous. His confidence is in himself and in what he, think he thinks he merits to God. But God will have none of this. He is pure and holy and righteous in Jesus, the perfect one, illustrated by him raising from the dead. Having done nothing wrong, Enduring a cross for us, blazing pure righteousness will have no one telling him that they must accept him because they have righteousness of their own. He will have none of it. And so the Pharisee is entirely rejected. The one who trusts in himself is entirely rejected. The tax collector is justified. 
tax collector is justified. See, you thought the doctrine of justification by faith was only a thing for the Apostle Paul to teach, didn't you? The doctrine of justification by faith started a long time ago with Abraham. Jesus preaches the doctrine of justification by faith here. The sinner who pleads for mercy is justified. See, he rebukes and insults the Pharisee, but what an encouragement to those who actually know they are unworthy and to know they are sinners and to know that they have nothing except, God, please be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And how free that mercy comes to all who humble themselves before God. And he absolves their guilt. And he washes their sins away. And he cancels the record of debt that stood against them. And he accepts them. Not on the basis of their righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. This is the one who goes home justified rather than the other. Why? For everyone who exalts himself, the Pharisee, the one who trusts in himself and has contempt for others, if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. God will humble you. He will humble you if you're a member of this church and you're proud. God will humble you one way or another. If you're a person who doesn't know the first thing about Christ and you stand before the Lord Jesus upon your death because you are going to meet Him, He will humble you there by His judgment. Christ was raised from the dead. I believe a man who's raised from the dead and tells me he's coming back to conquer and to judge. Humble yourself before God. You are a sinner. Plead for His mercy. Anyone who comes pleading for His mercy, He doesn't cast out. And receive His acceptance freely based on Christ's merit, not your own. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we see in Christ the one who humbled himself We see in Christ the one who humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. We see him raised from the dead and exalted to the highest place where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the one who's gone before us, who humbled himself and has been exalted to the highest place. And if you humble yourself before God, pleading for his mercy, he will exalt you also with Christ unto salvation and eternal life and eternal glory in His presence. I don't want anyone to leave here because you're going to leave here now. And you're going to leave and you're going to return to your house just like, the, just like the Pharisee and the tax collector came up to the temple to pray. You're going to leave here today and you're going to return to your house. And one of the questions for you and for all the children who are here, listen up kiddos, is when you leave here today, are you trusting in yourself to make you right with God? Do you think that what being a church person is, is an outward appearance and display of righteousness? Or do you understand that in your heart and in your life, 
you are unworthy and you are shameful and you are guilty and that what you need is God be merciful to me. Have pity on me. I have no other hope except that you would accept me freely because of Christ and not myself. For those here who know Christ, how does your self-righteousness even serve you? How has your trusting in yourself and in your own righteousness formed your heart to Jesus? How has it shown you the beauty of what Easter weekend is all about? How has it helped your affections draw near and near to Jesus and feel deeply a gratitude to Him. As the week moves along, week after week, how has it helped you turn your heart to a heart of worship and adoration? That you and your spouse or your friends or your co-workers see in you an awe in the Lord Jesus and an adoration of the Lord Jesus that can only be born of the fact that you have been a sinner that has been received freely, has freely received the mercy of God. I just want to tell you this. It's very easy for a church like ours to be like kind of fake sinners. You know, I want our church to be a church actually that's full of tax collectors. I want our church to actually be full of people who actually were really disdained people. They were weak and marginalized, who were real sinners. I want real sinners who need a real Savior. I want real sinners. I want the people of God to be honest about who they are before Him. The great news about Jesus is the first thing the Gospel does is it frees you to be a sinner. And what I mean by that is not that grace would increase because sin abounds all the more. I just mean it frees you to be honest about yourself rather than be a liar about yourself. You don't have to defend yourself to any man. Because you're trusting in yourself that you are righteous. You stand before God if you are unworthy and you are guilty. You stand before God having received His mercy and you have acceptance with Him. You need not find acceptance with others by an outward form of appearance. And frankly, you'll never feel like you're loved when you live by, like that either. You'll know you're loved and feel like you're loved when you're actually honest about your sins and people love you anyways. And I think and I hope 
and I know that you would find a lot of people like that in this church. And I'm thankful for God's grace for that. But bring me some tax collectors. I want the humble. Because God accepts them. And he saves them. We have this sweet opportunity to remember the one who humbled himself and the one who stands in the most exalted and high place today through the Lord's table. And um, if you have a cup, go ahead and get your cup ready. And on top of the cup is the bread. Sometimes it can be a little bit tricky to peel open. We're going to pray and give thanks for the body and blood of our Lord. And then but before we do that, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake of the Lord's table. You do have to be like the tax collector who has called on Jesus for mercy because he's a sinner. You have to be a Christian. You have to be one who's accepted by God, not on the basis of your good works or merit, but on the basis of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. So take a moment. Consider your life before God. Maybe now's a good time actually to plead with God for mercy. Maybe for some, someone here today to plead with God for mercy, for salvation for the very first time. Maybe for others to just Plead with God for mercy to be merciful to you because you know you still live a life that is guilty before God. It will not be, you will not be held guilty eternally, but a recognition that you are in confession would be a moment that would be helpful for you. And then we'll pray and read Scripture and partake together in just a moment. Father, holy and righteous are you in all your ways. Holy other than us and set apart from us in greatness and glory. And yet, in the glory of your gospel, you have set apart a people for yourself. And you have sent them a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that you gave up your life in love for us. And you demonstrate your great love for us, that you died for us while we were yet sinners. You loved your enemies even to a cross. Those straying and running from you, you chased down and bought them and paid redemption's price. You, Lord Jesus, endured the crushing of your own Father on that tree, bearing the curse for us. Wearing the crown of thorns, symbolic of the curse of sin being carried by our King to a cross in our place.
Thank you for giving up your life that the fullness of sin's penalty would be paid. And that all who would say to you, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, you would quickly save, you would justify, and you would accept, and you would wash all their sins away. We praise you that you are raised from the dead and you reign with all authority now. And we remember you and we proclaim that you will come again soon as we partake of this table. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you've done in our hearts and lives. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of our Lord. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of our Lord. Stand with us as we sing one last song.